I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am to look out and see so many faces here today as we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Happy Easter, everyone. My great joy today to open up God's Word, whether you are here in person or whether you are streaming at home and worshiping with us there, I want to welcome you this morning on this uh, chilly but very beautiful Easter morning. This morning we join, as uh, Mike prayed a moment ago, uh, churches all across the world in our country and throughout the centuries, actually, to celebrate the fact that in his great love, that's been the emphasis of the study, in his great love for us, God sent his son, Jesus, to earth to offer himself on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Love reigns, love reigns. That being noted, I, as I thought about that whole concept or idea, it occurred to me that many people, I think, underestimate the power of love. But I would argue that it is one of the most powerful forces on earth. Perhaps some of you men in the room may be able to relate to me of the kind of crazy things you did to win the hearts of your girlfriends of your, or, your, or your spouses, your wives. When I was first smitten with my wife, Valerie, she didn't make it easy. <laughs> she was living a couple of houses down from the beach and the boardwalk in Ocean City where we both grew up. And I would run the beach every morning, pretty much, nearly every morning. And let's just say when I finished running, I wasn't a pretty sight and I stunk. <laughs> I smelled even worse. But one day it occurred to me, I developed a plan that I could combine my running with a chance, see my fingers here, of meeting with Valerie. I parked my car a block away from her house. I brought along with me a misting bottle with water, okay? And wanting to give her the illusion that I had just run several miles and I was in dire need of a drink of water, I sprayed myself all down with this water and I showed up at her door. And can you believe at first she showed me where the hose was in the backyard? <laughs> Eventually she let me in and she gave me a drink of water but I failed to impress her yet once again. And when I asked her out, she turned me down flat. <laughs> but I did manage to break the ice a little, and the rest is history, because this June 4th, we will celebrate our 39th wedding anniversary. 39 years. Praise God. <laughs> Love is indeed a powerful force, and it does move us to do amazing things. Think for just a moment with me about God's love for us. When we ask, how much does God love us? We need only to look to the cross. It was there you see that Jesus stretched out his arms and he said to each one of us, I love you this much. But please understand that on that first Easter, Jesus was not some helpless pawn in history's chessboard. Look carefully with me, if you will, at the instructions or the predictions that Jesus made to his disciples in Matthew 20, verses 18 
and 19 as they were making their way to Jerusalem. Behold, he says, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and flock and crucify. But don't miss the last point. On the third day, he will rise, be raised up again. Not long after that, on Palm Sunday, or the Sunday that begins the Holy Week of Easter, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, amidst the loud acclaims of Hosanna and the songs of a jubilant group of multitude of people, Jesus not only directly fulfilled the Old Testament prophecy spoken of him in Zechariah 9.9, but very boldly declared himself the long-awaited Messiah and the King of the Jews. And all of this happened just as it did precisely the way it happened because, as Pastor Mike pointed out in the very first sermon of this sermon series, when the King comes, love reigns. As a result, in accordance to God's perfect plan and God's perfect timing, just as Jesus predicted, he was arrested and brought to trial. He was beaten until he was nearly, uh, nearly to death. He was convicted and then he was forced to carry a rugged wooden cross all the way to the top of a hill that he would be crucified upon. There he was mocked by the Roman soldiers when they placed a sign over his head, calling him the king of the Jews without really meaning it at all. And those who passed by, including the priests and the religious leaders and teachers of the day, they mocked Jesus, saying, If you are truly the Son of God, save yourself. They didn't understand, you see, that the true test of Jesus' power and authority was not in his ability to save himself from crucifixion, but in his ability to overcome the death that the crucifixion would cause or result in. Now, mind you, don't let this slip by. Jesus, our King, he had all the rights and every bit of the power he needed to unleash judgment at that very moment. But because he is our meek King, an absolutely good King, he instead unleashes the greatest display of love and mercy that this world has ever seen. And all of this happened exactly the way it happened, precisely as it happened, as Pastor John pointed out reminded us on Good Friday, because when the king suffers, love reigns. When the king suffers, love reigns. Of course, if Jesus is dead, none of this matters. And so three days later, Jesus, the crucified Jesus was laid in a tomb, and, and to everyone's shock and amazement, he appeared in bodily form to many of his disciples and many others. We see that in the testimony of 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7. Here's what we see. For, be, for I deliver to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cyphus and to the twelve. And then he appeared, look at this, verse 6, up to more than 500 brothers at, the, at one time, most of whom are still alive. Check it out, Paul says. Check it out. Most of them are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Folks, when 
The scriptures speak of the resurrection. It speaks of it being a genuine historical fact. And that's why the third point of my sermon today is when Christ rises, love reigns. When Christ rises, love reigns. Yes, during his earthly ministry in order to display his power over death, Jesus raised others from the dead. But remember, all of them died again. In contrast, that first Easter morning when Christ was raised from the dead, death was not merely postponed. It was fully, fully conquered. That's why we find Paul with this air of uh, almost this defiance shouting in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But listen, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating today. How could Paul speak so confidently and so boldly? I'm reminded of a story or an illustration I read this week about the renowned 19th century French artist Paul Dury. And apparently he was traveling around in Europe at the time and he lost his passport. That's a really scary thing. When he came to the border crossing, he explained his predicament to one of the guards, hoping that he'd be recognized and that they might let him pass by. The guard, however, said, listen, we have many people attempting to cross over this border, claiming to be persons who they are not. I, and he demanded more proof. And so we handed him a pencil and a piece of paper. And the guard said to him, listen, I want you to sketch several people standing nearby. Tory did it so quickly and so skillfully that the guard was convinced that he was indeed who he claimed to be. And thus his work confirmed his word. And in the same way, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus' work confirmed his word as well. Though many doubted, many mocked him, death did not have the last word here or the final say. Loved it. Loved it. A love so great. Think about this. A love so great that the creator of heaven and earth, the sovereign ruler of the universe, poured his power into flesh, bled and died to reconcile you and me to himself, even with all our imperfections. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 tells us, For while we were still weak, literally powerless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one, I love the argument in verse 1, one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But look at the contrast in verse 8. But, while, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that last phrase, Christ died for us, mean? Well, friends, because of sin, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve death, eternal separation from God. But Christ took upon himself the judgment for our sin when he went to the cross. He suffered and he died in our place and for our sins. However, a dead Savior cannot forgive anyone. And so to demonstrate that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that we are forgiven, three days later, just as Jesus declared he would do, God raised him from the dead. And thus the resurrection proves that God accepted his sacrifice and that we are completely forgiven and death is defeated. Hallelujah. Every sin, all the shame are forever gone because they are now buried in that empty tomb. 
And consequently, our salvation is not based on anything we have done or could do for God. Folks, it is a free, free gift. And according to Jesus, it's a gift that is received only by placing our trust or by believing in him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Listen to what Jesus says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Listen carefully. Please don't miss this. The difference here that Christ speaks of between perishing and living, between condemnation and salvation, is one's faith in Jesus Christ, what we do with Jesus. So I want to pause here. I do this often, but especially on Easter and Christmas for some reason. And ask each of you, in your heart, search, have you genuinely placed your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins? Do you understand your need for a Savior? If not, I ask you, are you ready to accept the free gift of eternal life that God, through faith in Jesus Christ, His Son is offering you today? If that's you today, may I suggest this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned against you and that I am in need of a Savior. I am in need of forgiveness and your grace. By faith, I choose today to place my trust in what you have done for me in the life, the death, and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus. Come into my life, please, and save me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, if you have sincerely, whether you're watching at home and worshiping with us there or you're here in person, if you have sincerely placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior, I want to welcome you into God's family. And please note that I'm emphasizing faith in Jesus because I'm just saying prayer saves no one. It's our faith in Jesus that saves us. I thought I brought up a booklet up here. I have a booklet that explains it right over there. How embarrassing. I, I have a booklet called The Good News of the Gospel, which goes far deeper in explaining the gospel. I'd love to give that to you if you've trusted in Christ. If you're watching at home, send us a note and we'll send it to you. But uh, please come up and see me afterwards and pick up one of those books. Now, if you're already a believer, one of the things that concerns me is that because of our familiarity with the resurrection message, for many believers, I believe it's lost its punch. For others, the narrative of the resurrection can seem foreign. Let me explain. They accept the word of Scripture. They believe it actually happened. They're depending on it, but they're not quite sure about how what happened on Easter Sunday makes a difference with them in their jobs tomorrow, on Monday, or when they go about their various responses. Which is a good question, by the way, a great question. Such believers might say, Jesus rose from the, from the dead, I'm counting on it. But the challenge for me is this Monday, I've got to go back to school, Pastor, and I'm not doing so well, or I'm, I'm pretty lonely. Or, or maybe you're a teacher and you're working with a group of kids and you're trying to help them grow and learn, but you know what's going on in their homes 
and you feel helpless. Perhaps there's someone here who's consistently showing up at work. You're giving it all you got, doing everything you can, but you just can't seem to get ahead. You keep falling behind. Maybe today you're facing financial stress. It's mounting in your family, and on Monday you've got bills to pay, and you don't have any idea how you're going to pay them. It's possible that someone may be here today that believes Jesus rose from the dead. They're counting on it. But on an average Monday, you're dealing with choices that you said you weren't going to make, but you keep making. Oh, you don't want to call it an addiction, but that's what it really is. You keep going back to the same things again and again and again. You drink it. You take it. You eat it. You buy it. You spend it. You click on it but you just can't seem to break away from that pattern. And maybe there's someone here today who believes Jesus rose from the dead, but right now your family is falling apart and you just don't know what to do. And so you're asking, what difference does what happened on Easter Sunday make on an average Monday? Let me try to answer that question for the rest of the time here by pointing you to an event that occurred in the life and ministry of Jesus in John 11. Turn there with me if you would. I'd love to get in the Bible here, John 11. In this chapter, we are introduced to a very dear friend of Jesus named Lazarus, who lived in the village of Bethany along with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus has become sick, so sick that according to verse 3, as you get to John 11, you'll see that Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus urging him to come quickly hoping he could do something to help. But when Jesus heard this, that Lazarus was sick, according to verse 4, he responds rather oddly. Here's what he says. This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And then, although Jesus truly loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, we're told in verses 5 and 6 that he and his disciples chose to stay there for a couple more days. So imagine how confused Jesus' disciples were when they received word that Lazarus had died, especially when you look at what Jesus says in response in verses 14 and 15, when he says to them, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And I'm sure the disciples were like, okay, you know, we should go pay our respects. I don't think they had any idea what was going to happen here. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, we're told in Scripture that she met him, but Mary stayed at home. I'm guessing she was still wrestling, as we'll see later, with how to respond to Jesus. And then Martha says, Lord, look at verse 21. If you had been here, my brother would, have, would not have died. Now, interestingly, as I look at that, Jesus does not shut down her comments. Nor do I see him scolding her or shaming her for seeing them. Instead, he very lovingly, as we just heard quoted in Scripture, verse 23, saying, your brother will rise again. Well, Martha replies, like any one of us, when someone offers a comment like that to us, when we've lost someone, to give us comfort. Yeah, I know, Lord, look at verse 24. I know he will rise again. I know I will see him again in the resurrection of the last day. And that's... And that's in verse 25 and 26, when Jesus makes a profound statement that in my mind, in my heart, reframes our every moment in the life as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. I am 
I think that's the fifth I am we see in the gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Wow. I love the way Jesus here, with this statement, is able to refocus Martha's faith from a faithful God who will one day fulfill his future promises to the incarnate God standing there before her, who is always present in everyday circumstances of our lives. Martha was looking to the future, knowing that Lazarus would indeed rise again, and she would see him again. That's great. But Jesus here centers her attention on the present, because, you see, Whenever he is, wherever he is, God's resurrection power is available now. Now. Jesus is not only the God of tomorrow's promises, but I would submit to you the one who is with us through the changing, challenging scenes each and every day, including, including Mondays. When I got to this point, I wrote this phrase down. Resurrection is what Jesus did. And it's what he does because it's who he is. Resurrection is what Jesus did. It's what he does because it's who he is. And we see this theme throughout Scripture. I want to give you three quick verses or passages to think about. The first is in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Here's what Paul writes here. We, this is who believe, this is what believers now experience in Jesus. We have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in the newness of life. I want you to observe here, brothers and sisters in Christ, that for those who genuinely place their trust, come to know God through faith in Jesus Christ, a real spiritual transformation takes place inside of each one of us. We do not remain the same as we were before. We become new creations in Jesus Christ. Second, in Galatians 2, verse 20, Paul declares, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Practically speaking, I believe that means that we continue to live on in the flesh, obviously, of course, but our lives are no longer directed and driven by our sinful selves, but now we are directed and, and driven as we submit to God by the living, abiding Christ in each of us, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you see, this is something I wrote down here too, Jesus, you see, does more than give life, he is life. Jesus does more than give life. He is life. In fact, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, Paul uh, reminds us that the, the, the amazing great power that God raised Jesus from the dead and keeps him seated at the right hand of the Father is working on behalf in and through us to make us more like Jesus. And that brings me... By, by no means an exhaustive list. The third example, Philippians 3.10, here's what Paul prays, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being in the process of being conformed to his death. 
Observe is that we submit our hearts and our lives to God's leading in our life. God uses all things, including our sufferings and the challenges, in order as we trust and submit to him to make us more like Jesus. And so on an average Monday, when you have something in your life, in your character, in your head or in your heart, or anywhere around you, we need to understand, we need to trust that Jesus, the Savior King, that we celebrate today is the resurrection, and he is the life. This is the way I put it in my notes. This is who he is. This is what he does. He brings new life because this is who he is. That being noted, Jesus goes on at the end of verse 26 to ask a penetrating question of Martha, and I would add to all of us today reading this passage. He asked, do you believe this? Folks, this is not just an intellectual question Jesus is asking. This involves our heart. This involves our action. It means leaning on something. It's putting our full weight on it without holding back each and every moment of every day, not just Sundays. I love Martha's response in verse 27. Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That's Martha's response. But again, what about you? How do you respond to Jesus' question here in verse 26? Do you, my friends, believe this? Well, the rest of the story plays out with Mary finally coming to Jesus. And we're told in Scripture that coming to him, she fell down at his feet, and she's weeping. And, uh, and she tells Jesus, just like Martha, if you had been here, Lord, I'm sure my brother would have been okay. And, and I find it amazing that when Jesus sees Mary and the others who were mourning with her, weeping, it says that deep in his spirit, verse 35, he wept. He wept. Death, loss, and pain because of sin's entrance into the world, you see, was never what he wanted. Our Lord's weeping here reveals his humanity as our Savior. Scripture tells us here that he entered into all our experiences, yet without sin. He knows how we feel. He knows our pains and he hurts. His tears also assure us of his sympathy. He is indeed, as Isaiah 53 Verse 3 declares, a man of sorrows, acquainted, that's an interesting word, acquainted with our grief. Well, then Jesus commands that he be taken to the tomb of Lazarus and that the stone be rolled away. Immediately the people say, Lord, uh, he's been in that tomb for four days. It's not going to smell very good. But Jesus is insisting here. And after praying to his father, look what happens in verses 43 and 44. Crying out, it says. With a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44, the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. I don't know why, you know, wouldn't that be, probably not going to be your first reaction when somebody comes walking out of a tomb, right? So Jesus says, go unbind him. I love what Augustine says about this event in his commentary when he says, if Jesus had not specifically named Lazarus, he would, when he shouted, he would have emptied out the entire cemetery. That's the power of our Savior. 
By the way, this is kind of silly. I tried to imagine what Lazarus' final obituary would have read, you know? Born on this day, died on this day. Raised again on this day, died again on this day. And can you imagine meeting Lazarus at a party after this? Hey, hey, Lazarus, the craziest thing happened to me today. Lazarus would have surely been able to top it, right? Yeah, really, I, can, I bet I can top that, right? But all kidding aside, wrapping up our time in the Word of God, my main emphasis today is that the impact and the message of the resurrection of Jesus is not meant to only be celebrated one Sunday out of every year, but throughout the year, every day of the year. The resurrection of Jesus, you see, changes the face of death and life alike for the believer. What does that mean to you and me? Well, honestly, that's really for you and me to figure out. Only you know where you need to trust and surrender more deeply to Jesus in your life. So what areas of your life is God seeking transformation or change? As today you acknowledge and recognize your future hope in Jesus Christ, as certain hope, how, dear friends, does that reorder your life and your priorities right now? Perhaps for some, it's a transformation in your personal relationships. You have unhealthy boundaries and you need to establish some healthy boundaries. Maybe some here today are dealing with financial decisions and they're sabotaging themselves and, and their future and they need to start living differently. Maybe some of us have new or old dreams that need to be dropped or nurtured or bring, or, or bring them to conclusion. One that really struck me as I was writing here is God asking you and I to leave behind idols and trappings of this world that we know we are allowing to keep us from a deeper, intimate commitment to Jesus Christ, his word, his church, and his service. Is he calling, the bottom line, you or me, to a new way of life based on the values of God's reign, that God reigns in our lives? I love and I ask for it to be sung today. What we sang earlier, let us remember that our resurrected king, he's resurrecting us. That's a process that he's going to continue to work in us until we go to be with him. He's calling us and he's empowering us by his Holy Spirit to live victoriously above our circumstances and to bring us to a fuller joy, a fuller peace, to patience, to love, to kindness, and to mercy and to grace. We, as scriptures say, our old selves have been crucified with Christ on the cross and buried with him in the tomb. And don't miss this. In Christ, in Christ, dear brothers and sisters, in Christ, our hope of new life is not a future goal. It is a present reality. Do you believe that? And that's my fourth and final point today. You see, when the king transforms, love reigns. It's all part of his love for us. As a choir is coming forward in the praise team, if you are someone, I, I, my heart goes out to you if you're dreading tomorrow. 
and you have issues and challenges in your life that you need some encouragement or prayer, elders and deacons will be up here, myself included, to pray with you. If you're wrestling with the gospel, please don't leave here without talking to us. Come up and get one of those booklets on the gospel. But please come up and pray with us. The second thing is actually a reference to something Mike said last week as one of his final applications. I loved it, and I wrote it down, and I kept it for this week. As I've been thinking on it, I want you to think about it with me. Here's what Mike said. Our sin that pins us down was defeated by the one pinned on the cross. And in that action, listen to this, our humble, I love, donkey riding king of love demonstrated a rule and a reign and a power that no other king has ever known. And listen, if the darkest moment of human history, if in the darkest moment of human history, Christ, King Jesus, was completely ruling and bringing about a goodness we could never imagine, in your darkest moment, whatever it is, you name it, I urge you to trust that the King Jesus that we worship today is working a good that you might not be able to see today. Amen? Amen. He has risen. Father, we thank you as we continue now in worship for those that are going to be baptized and for the opportunity to reflect on these truths. Lord, help us, as Mike prayed earlier, to be transformed and changed because of our gathering here today. Thank you for each and every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.